It is 12.02, Saturday afternoon, Dr. Payne show. It is 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. You have questions, concerns about your health, bring them on. We'd love to talk to you. From head to toe, we cover it all. And uh, what do you want to talk about today? After your week, though, what, why are you laughing? <laughs> head to toe. It's just funny. I don't know why. You've been drinking this morning? No. Right. No. <laughs> wow, uh, you really found that funny. Yeah, I don't know why. Right, and good. you've said it before, so... Um, yeah, let's start with uh, a very, very common thing that uh, all of us hear of all the time is sciatica. We always hear this term, mm, I've got sciatica. sciatica yeah. yeah. So sciatica in general just means leg pain. Um, there's also a nerve in the leg called the sciatic nerve, which is what that term is often reserved for in layman's terms, where people say, I have sciatica, which often means an irritation of the sciatic nerve. In understanding the anatomy of the sciatic nerve, um, it's made up of the lower lumbar segments and some mm -hmm. of the sacral nerve segments, um, and it then travels down the back of the leg. So oftentimes people who have pain down the back of their legs in the thigh area or down into the calf will say, I have sciatica which is not necessarily wrong, but a lot of the times people exclude the fact that they may have nerve pain if it's in the front. Now you can also have, there's other nerves. The other big nerve that supplies the front of the leg is called the femoral nerve. Um, and it can mimic symptoms of sciatica just in the front of the leg. So okay. um, it, it's simply, it, there's a nerve entrapment somewhere. So whether the entrapment is the sciatic nerve or the femoral nerve. Now, the femoral or the sciatic nerve tends to be much more common again because it's lower down, um, and that's more likely where things tend to happen. But a lot of people have uh, weird pain in the front of their legs on the lateral side or the outside part of their thigh, um, in the form of numbness, tingling, weakness, weird sensations. Um, when someone comes into me, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is yesterday I had a patient. Um, with an issue in the anterior, the front part of the thigh. Um, and he was saying, no, my doctor told me it's not sciatica. So he was pretty confident it wasn't okay. a nerve. And I had to explain to him, well, it's not the sciatic nerve, uh, but you do have an issue going on with the femoral nerve, uh, which is, again, another nerve that just supplies a different part of the leg. And so um, very, very similar in that, you know, people who have sciatica can often complain of numbness, tingling, weakness, those types of things. But again, the pattern is characteristic where it's down the back of the leg. Femoral nerve issues are usually down the front of the leg into the thigh um, and the, the shin area and maybe the top of the foot. Um, so again, not as common, but a lot of people do have uh, leg pain in the front and they just kind of dismiss it because they'll go on Google and they'll type things in and they'll often read, oh, sciatica is at the back of the leg. So right. this isn't Google sciatica. School. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you don't have a nerve irritation and nerves are, you know, one of the conversations that I often have with people who have a nerve issue is nerve tissue does not heal very well. And we can all appreciate that because we've all heard of cases of, of, um, paralysis through spinal cords being severed we really have no way of healing that you know if we have a scratch on our skin our skin tends to regenerate right. really well um even some other bodily muscle tissue, fiber yeah, great it can all there's some things are better than others but definitely probably the worst is nerve tissue once nerve tissue is damaged um it doesn't really regenerate and so even with a quick insult an acute insult to a nerve uh, could take six to eight weeks to heal. And if you have sustained pressure on a nerve for a long period of time, how long could that potentially right. take to heal? So that's why it's very, very important to figure out what is causing. So if we just use the example of sciatica, which we've talked about a lot, it's very, very important to determine sciatica is just your, is, a, is a sign more than it is anything. It's like saying fever. Correct. Right? Let's figure out what's causing the pressure on that sciatic nerve because if we can figure out what's causing the pressure on the sciatic nerve or the irritation of the sciatic nerve, that's what you treat and that's where you have your best chance of eliminating this. 
in this gentleman's case that I saw yesterday, and he had uh, pain and numbness and tingling in the front of his leg, what we were able to find is that he has uh, likely uh, femoral nerve irritation just in the muscles, um, the quadratus lumborum and the psoas, where the femoral nerve actually has to pass through those muscles. And so now I've basically recommended to him to go get some therapy to release those muscles, and I do believe he will get better. But he's had pressure on this nerve now for about two months, so can we expect that all of it will be gone overnight or over two or three no. treatments? Likely not. Again, nerve tissue takes much longer to regenerate, to heal, if it ever does. Um, and, and when I say if it ever does, I mean in severe cases, like if a nerve is severed or something like that. But just due to pressure, it can definitely heal. It just takes a little bit more time than you know, a simple strain of a muscle. It's it just muscle tends to heal much better than, than nerve tissue does. So uh, if you've got numbness and tingling, pins and needles sensation, weakness, anything that's a neurological type of issue that's uh, not due to anything overly serious, doesn't mean that it, it will never heal. It just means that it could take a lot of time because of how hard it is to treat nerve tissue. In your experience, though, is there more common uh, causes of sciatica? Uh, yeah, I, I would say... I'm not sure, you know, based on research, I don't have the research answer to that, but it's often, sciatica is often due to um, some type of disc herniation okay. in, the, in the low back somewhere. Well, that's common. Well, yeah, yeah, that's pretty common. Or uh, just tight muscles in that area. A lot of us, like, we, we don't realize we sit all day, right? And when you're sitting, you're putting pressure on that sciatic nerve. It may be getting irritated just from simply sitting from, from mechanical tension of different muscles. So I would say those are the two big things that can cause sciatic nerve pain. Now, obviously, there's more serious things that can cause sciatic nerve pain, but that's not the vast majority of cases. The vast majority of cases that I personally see and that I've uh, that my colleagues will see uh, where people have leg pain is often due to some type of disc pathology uh, in the back or even stenosis, like something affecting the spine, right? Stenosis can be pretty common too, um, or it's actually just muscular, which, I mean, if you had to pick any of those, muscular is obviously yeah. the best because it's going to be the easiest to treat. Disc issues will be somewhat easier to treat than obviously something like stenosis because stenosis is potentially bony changes, which in the absence of surgically removing those bony changes is going to be very difficult. Uh, but there are things you can do to manage stenosis for sure. Is it generally one side or both sides? Can you have, I'm, I'm by sides, I mean legs. Can you have both legs for sciatic or is it usually one at a time? Again, it will depend on what right. the underlying source is. So something like a stenosis, like a central stenosis in the spinal canal, you'll get the symptoms on both sides. Um, disc herniations most often tend to be on one side. So if it's due to a disc herniation, now you can have disc herniations that impinge on the central canal, and then you'll get symptoms in both legs. Uh, but but the majority of disc herniation cases do tend to be what we call posterior lateral, which means they're off to the one posterior side. or anterior. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then muscular issues depends. It depends if you're doing something, a certain posture that you're in, a certain way that you sit, where you favor one side versus if maybe you're putting pressure on both sides. Um, but it could be either or, and that's the important thing. I would say. In acute situations, when people come in really, really bad, when they say, you know, I've got this excruciating leg pain, uh, it tends to be unilateral, which means on one side. But in more chronic cases, they'll tend to come in and say, I can alternate between legs. Sometimes mm -hmm. I feel it on this side. Sometimes I feel it on that other side. So it it, it just really depends, I guess, is my my easier answer. Is there, a, as far as treatment, is it is it stuff where it's, it's going to be a lot of movement involved? Like, for instance, yoga or stuff like that would, would treat something like that? Or it depends on what it is. Again, it depends on what yeah. it is. So there's some movements in yoga. Let's let's take the example of a central stenosis where okay. there's impingement uh, due to bony changes. 
um, you know, flexion of, of the pelvis tends to be better for that. And obviously a lot of yoga poses have flexion of the pelvis, but there's a lot of yoga poses that also go the opposite way where you have extension and that could potentially be aggravating for stenosis um, versus the classic disc herniations. It's the opposite. Extension is often helpful and flexion is often aggravating. Mm. So um, this is an issue that I see a lot of because a lot of times people come in and again, I would say the you know, the vast majority of healthcare practitioners, if they hear leg pain on one side, they'll, they'll, the first thing that we pops into all of our heads is that it's a disc herniation. Um, if someone though does have underlying stenosis instead of the disc herniation right. and you're treating it like a disc herniation, you may be potentially be making it worse because I just went through how one thing that's relieving in one mm -hmm. scenario is actually aggravating in sure. the other scenario. Um, so that's why, you know, what I always talk about, which is the diagnosis is the most important. I have a lot of people that call me and say, they tell me a set of symptoms and they say, what can I do? Um, and, and the first thing I say is, well, we got to figure out what's causing yeah. that set of symptoms. I can't, you know, to just be general, I think that's the disservice in healthcare when we just clump things based on symptoms without figuring out the underlying issue and you're only treating a symptom, many different things can cause the same symptom. So it's very important to try to figure out the underlying issue because in doing so, then you could be more confident in your treatment intervention and more confident in the prognostic value that it'll actually work. We'll take a short uh, break. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. You have health concerns, you have pains, bring them on, want to hear uh, about it and hear about uh, from you rather on the phone lines. Uh, Dr. Lou's here until one o'clock this afternoon. By the way, info at paincarecanada.com and to uh, get that consultation happening anytime one eight five 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 five. Doctor Lou D R L O U to Doctor Payne Show, Global News Radio six forty Toronto. It is four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on your cell. It is twelve fifteen. We'll get to uh, Kathy. Hey Kathy, good afternoon. Hi, how are you? Good. What's uh, what's going on with you? I would like to ask Doctor Lou: Is it okay to jog if you have kind of mild arthritis in a knee, one of your knees? Um, I guess my next question is: Do you have any pain in your knees? Uh, a little bit. Okay. Um, it, it, again, it's a very hard, like I can't give an absolute uh, on this because I often will talk about um, the correlation between imaging findings and people's symptoms. Now, unfortunately, what a lot of the, the healthcare profession has done is that when they take an x-ray of some part of the body and they see wear and tear, which is arthritis, which is that's all it really is, um, we'll often say, oh, you have pain because you have wear and tear. The research is very clear that it's 50-50. You may have pain because of, because of degeneration or you may not. Um, so what I mean by that is if we picked 100 people right now and we x-rayed their knees at random, 50% um, would likely have some type of mild osteoarthritis of that knee. That same 50% is not necessarily the people that have knee pain. So in your, in your case, Kathy, first and foremost, I'd want to make sure is the knee pain that you're experiencing related potentially to the arthritis? If we can be confident that, yeah, okay, th this seems likely that the arthritis is causing your knee pain, um, then I, I guess I would have to say that jogging is probably not one of the best activities for the knee just because of the amount of pressure uh, that's put on it. But again, this is all, it all really depends. Is the source of the pain uh, due to the wear and tear in the knees, or is it not? A lot of people have knee pain due to other issues. And so, you know, the other thing with jogging is, jogging is very specific in the sense that most of us don't have the ideal gait pattern. And so when we do jog, we tend to put pressure on one side or another side, different areas. Um, 
And so there's also functional ways that you can work on things where you don't necessarily, some people love a certain activity like jogging, and maybe it's not most ideal for them, but maybe through other interventions like functional training or maybe an orthotic or a specialized shoe, you can help those imbalances so that it minimizes the level of pain. But um, I guess as a general uh, question, should you jog if you have arthritis in your knees? My answer is it depends, uh, and it depends on the case for sure. So have, how long have you had knee pain for? Uh, about a year. It comes and goes. Okay, and who's told you that you have arthritis of the knees? Um, my doctor. I had a um, I had a scan done of it, and they found uh, spurs and baker's cyst. Okay, yeah. And um, some, what, I'm sorry, I forget the type of arthritis they found. Osteoarthritis, probably? Yeah, yeah, and on the top of the patella, a roughness. Okay. And yeah. where where exactly in the knee is your um, pain? Um, gosh, that's hard to say. Um, well, sometimes it locks. Okay. And um, I have to stop and very gradually straighten it out. Okay. Do you, do you get any swelling? Well, I have a Baker's cyst. I'm not sure what that is. A Baker's cyst is often related. So the knee joint itself has all, all most, of, not all, but most of the joints in the body are what are called synovial joints, which is kind of like the WD-40 of the yeah. human body. Um, what can happen with degenerative arthritis in the knees is sometimes a little bit of that synovial fluid could spill out the back and it forms a cyst called the Baker's cyst. So that is an indication that you probably do have you know, some arthritis going on for sure. How old are you, Kathy? Uh, 54. 54. Yeah, I mean, uh, and the, the pain is generalized. It's hard to say where exactly it is. Right. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, just based on those quick few things, I, it sounds like your pain is probably related to some of the, deg the degeneration going on. I'd also want to see the image to see how, how significant it is because, I mean, at 54 years old to have mild osteoarthritis in the knee, you'd expect that out of almost every 54-year-old, not just yourself. Um, so it kind of depends on how much there is, where it is, and if it correlates. But it, it depends. Have you tried going not running? Yes. And, and does your knee feel better? Yes. Yeah. So that, yeah. and that's another thing that I often will tell people is that you have to listen to your body. And if your body's telling you things and you do the things that it doesn't want you to do, it's going to be in pain. So if, if jogging is, is aggravating and not jogging is not aggravating, then likely jogging is an aggravating factor. So really, if you want to eliminate the source of the problem, you got to eliminate the aggravating activity. Now that doesn't mean you can't do anything. You may want to try um, a different type of exercise and see if that may... Like a recumbent bike, maybe. A recumbent or bike or even yeah, just... I was going to ask you that. You yeah. have biking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, cycling happens to be very good for a lot of different issues as long as it's done properly because it really takes... Um, all of the pressure off the joints, right? There's no, there's no banging going on like there is with wrong, with running and and people that have you know significant arthritic changes in different areas of the body. Running is potentially harmful for it, especially running. I would say on a treadmill because um, really, eh? Well, tre no. treadmills eliminate your body's need to stabilize, and so a lot of the tiny little muscles that oh. will help you stabilize if you were kind of running just out in the, a normal street are kind of eliminated with uh, uh, with the treadmill. And so there tends to be a little bit of weakness in those stabilizing muscles that goes on. Never heard so, of it before. Yeah, cool. so it, it depends. If you're interested, come come see me, Kathy. We'll review everything, and we can kind of make a more, um, obviously, educated decision together on whether running is 
is something that you should or should not be doing. Info at paincarecanada.com, Kathy, or 1-855-55-DR-LOU, D-R-L-O-U. More of your phone calls, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Dr. Payne Show continues, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 1222, Dr. Payne Show, open phone lines, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Email anytime, info at paincarecanada.com. Get that consultation happening. You know, sometimes, as opposed to what Kathy was saying, our last caller, sometimes people have knee pain. It might be something that goes away when they jog or exercise, but then it comes back. It's kind of a rough place to be, right? Yeah, for sure. And that's that's the whole thing about, you know, again, listening to your body. It's yeah. uh I, we get a lot of people um, coming through the clinic that are doing therapy that will say things like, uh, you know, I feel great when I'm here, but then once I go back to yeah. what I'm doing, it, it all comes back. If you don't remove the aggravating factor, right? If you don't, and, and the aggravating factor may not necessarily be something else extra that you're doing. It may be the way you're sitting at your desk or the the lack of movement that you have in your life through lack of exercise or poor diet or whatever it may be without removing the aggravating factor, or if that aggravating factor is still present, it really doesn't matter how much treatment you have and how good of a therapist you have working on you. Because if you do something and you feel better and then you go back to whatever's aggravating your issue, well then yeah, it's going to be aggravating. And so, um, you know, that brings up a point where I've, I've met people who have said that, you know, in, in similar cases to what Kathy was describing, where they know the aggravating factor, and then yet the therapist is still getting them to go in for treatment after treatment. But are you not doing a disservice if you don't educate your patient on potentially removing those aggravating factors? Because really, what what is someone getting treatment for if, if that's not mm-hmm. eliminated? And so that's often a, a conversation that I try to have with people. I, I had a person the other day different than this. Uh, but this person has uh, hip pain. Um, and they were told generally just by someone on the phone that they should come see me uh, and that they likely thought that laser would be beneficial for their hip pain. Um, and they just kind of said this, you know, right. in passing or whatever, maybe they had done laser therapy and found it beneficial. But again, it all the treatment intervention and its efficacy, how well it's going to work really depends on what the problem is. Yep. As soon as I saw this lady, as soon as I grabbed her hip to move it around, it was clear. I didn't even have to send her for an x-ray. There was severe arthritis in that hip. There was no motion whatsoever. Um, And so I basically told them right away, like, you know, we can do all the laser therapy in the world. And then if you really want to do it, I'll have someone in my Mm -hmm. team do it for you. But it's really not going to make a difference. Like, you have severe degenerative arthritis. You're talking replacement. Yeah, you're talking knee replacement. And they were just, they were so thankful that I was honest with them. Yep. And and they were like, you know, we we rarely meet, they're, they're an elderly couple, so they see a lot of different healthcare professionals. And they're like, we always feel like we're being sold on things. And, and you know, we were here ready to do this laser treatment and commit to six or eight weeks of this. And you're basically telling us, don't waste your money doing it. I was like, well, I my job is not to look at it just from a, a, a beneficial business side, uh, but obviously to look at it, is this even going to help? I don't mind if someone has to spend laser therapy on something that will potentially work, but I knew all that would happen with this lady was she would get all this laser therapy. She would spend the she'd money. She'd be out a few bucks. Yeah, she'd be out yeah. a few bucks. It's not cheap to, yeah. to get the, these interventions done. And, and again, if I, if I could justify to myself where, hey, she's going to spend that money, but after six weeks, she's going to feel great, then I'm just going to make that recommendation. That's yeah. my job. But if I know that she's going to feel the exact same and have zero improvement, well, why, why put someone through that? Right. And, and that brings up another question. I get emailed often, are treatments covered through OHIP? This is a question I get often. 
it depends. Again, my focus is not really in the beginning treatment. My focus first and foremost is doing a personalized pain assessment, figuring out exactly what is creating your issue. Mm -hmm. If the issue similar to this patient is that you likely need a hip replacement and you go see an orthopedic surgeon, then treatment is covered through OHIP, right? That's just the way it works. If in another case, like the other person that I started to show off by saying that they needed manual release of their psoas and QL to get pressure off the femoral nerve, yep. I recommended them to see a therapist for that. That therapy is not covered through OHIP. They do have extended healthcare insurance, so they're going to take advantage of that. So it really depends. It's very, very hard for me to answer that question when someone sends me an email saying, is it covered through OHIP? Treatments may or may not be covered under OHIP, depending on the issue that we find it to be and depending on the intervention that we determine needs to be tried. And some things are covered through OHIP and some things are not. My assessment itself is not covered through OHIP. When you actually see me for an assessment, there's a fee. It's only $45, which is, I I mean, nobody ever complains about the fee, Um, but I spend a lot of time with people. I I saw a few people yesterday um, and each got about an hour and a half time with me. And that's, I usually budget about an hour, but they were just more complicated cases. And so I, I don't mind taking that extra time um, and and just getting to the bottom of things the right way. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale to call through and uh, ask your questions about pain if you're in or any other physical uh, things you have you want to ask uh, Dr. Lou about. So let's talk about that, unnecessary treatments. I mean, whether it's done purposely or, or just because, you know, whatever, treating doctors a little overzealous about mm-hmm. it. What do you think about that? How do you try to avoid that as much as possible? Well, I think, I think if you're... As, as a consumer of healthcare, we, we all need to be knowledgeable to some extent, right? Now, and I'm not saying that everybody needs to have doctor-level knowledge, but in general, I would say that, number one, does the course of treatment sound reasonable? So if you, you know, rolled your ankle and someone is telling you you need um, treatment for the next three years, that likely doesn't seem reasonable right off the bat. If someone says that, hey, you need about three or four weeks of treatment for that. Mm-hmm. I I don't think you need to be a doctor to appreciate yeah, that. That sounds kind of realistic. So I would say, number one, what is being recommended? Right. Uh, number two, is there just is this a clinic that just does one modality and one modality is the solution? They for have the miracle machine, yeah, right? And is the solution for everything. Um, that's another thing that I say be cognizant of. I'm not saying that that modality may not work for a lot of things, but if all you've got is a hammer, everything becomes a nail. Um, the other thing that I would say from a from a uh, from a patient standpoint is gauge it yourself. If you've gone undergone the course of treatment, if someone recommended to you, hey, well, let's do about. Um, you know, four or five treatments for this issue, they'll often, they should give you some type of, uh, of prognosis where they should say, you know, after five treatments, I believe based on my diagnosis that you should likely be 80% better, right. for example. You know, if you've gone through six treatments and you're 70% better, does that mean that they're wrong? No, it just, you know, it's a, it's it's a ballpark, right? Yep. Um, if you're undergoing treatment six times and there's zero change, well, then I think you need to be reevaluated. And even more so if you undergo treatment and you're getting worse, worse. right? Yeah. Don't continue. Like, get, And I'm not saying necessarily disappear from that person, but just have that conversation with that healthcare professional. Say, hey, I, I'm not getting the results that we talked about. What's going on here? I, I, we need to figure out how I get better. You have pain concerns, health concerns, bring them on. Still got time to call through 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. It's a Dr. Payne Show right here. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. It is 1232, Dr. Payne Show, one 855 Dr. Lou, D-R-L-O-U, info at paincarecanada.com to get a hold outside of show hours. Kevin, hey, good afternoon. How are you? 
Hey, I'm doing great. You? Good, brother. What's uh, what's your concern? All right, so uh, I'm 22 years old, uh, ex-junior hockey player, uh, turned golfer. Um, I've been experiencing uh, lower back pain. Um, I was in my garage one uh, afternoon, and I was just rocking my uh, body, swinging a wedge around, and uh, I felt a a pinch almost, and uh, I was close to immobile for two days after that. Mm, Okay. And um, so I've just been doing my thing, whatever. I'm a fit guy. I work out. I do yoga, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm still experiencing it. I work a very physical job as well. I work with sheet metal. There's a lot of lifting. Right. Um, so, um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm just, it's, it's a constant pinch. And then uh, if I move in a certain way, it could get a lot worse, but it's always there. So okay. I'm, I'm just, I'm just uh, yeah, I don't know what to do about it. Ha- have you had it checked out? I, I haven't done any imaging, no. No, but forget imaging. But have you talked to any healthcare professional about this? Or am I uh, the first person that you're speaking to? You're the first guy. Then that then that is the first thing you need to do. You need to give me a call when when the sh- when we're done the show and we need to book an assessment and figure it out because the reality. See, this is how chronic low back pain kind of yeah. starts. Now, I, I'm sure your issue is nothing major right now. It's probably to me it sounds like maybe it's a little bit of a disc issue, uh, but nothing major. Or maybe it's a facet joint irritation. It could be. It sounds mechanical. But the point here is that a lot of people that are young think that okay i've got this low back pain it's kind of there i'm going to do my own thing for it i'm going to leave it and in all honesty kevin probably after about six eight weeks or whatever it may very well disappear um but what's going to happen is throughout your life because things didn't heal the right way it's just going to start to reoccur and and likely become worse and worse over time i always i meet people all the time that are you know 50 60 years old and they're coming in for a really really bad episode of back pain and when i'm talking to them i'll say have you ever had back pain before and they'll say nah just like the general soreness like when i was younger i hurt my back and then it got better after a few months on its own and then every once in a while it would you know re- you get re-aggravated but it would always go away on its own but this time it's so bad well that's that's kind of the end stage right like if you don't get things uh looked at professionally right away that's unfortunately what can happen so i would say the first thing you got to do kevin is whether it's me or somebody else get a healthcare professional um, and, and to look at it and figure out what's potentially going on and get the right treatment recommendations now because that's where you can make the biggest difference on minimizing re-aggravations in the future. Now, that doesn't mean even if you did all the right things with a professional right now that you'll never experience low back pain again. It just means you minimize your chances of it being as bad or potentially getting worse. Okay. okay. Yeah, that, sounds, that sounds good. That's pretty much my situation to a T. So, uh, yeah. yeah, the next step will definitely be assessment. So, yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah, all right. Well, okay, uh, Kevin. Thanks, thanks for your help today. No problem. Yeah, like th- that is me. Exactly 24 years ago. And, what you, and how's, yeah. how's your I'm, back I'm nowadays? Still paying, it yeah, you're still paying the price. Yep, big time. I, I've done it myself. No way, too. Kevin, do it. I've done it myself, too. I've had injuries before I was a healthcare mm-hmm. professional. I, you know, we're all, I'm not, I, when I say this, I'm not trying to be critical and that we should all know better. Uh, but that's kind of the point of why I do this show is that people that do listen, you do know better. If yep. you are experiencing pain and it's kind of lingering and you're not really sure and it's not that bad, don't just wait for it to disappear just on its own. Just because you have youth on your side. Yeah, right? because it, like, can diminish to a point where you're, it's not noticeable. That doesn't mean it's not going to come back and cause problems later on, for sure. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Uh, hey, Graydon, how are you? Oh, not too bad, doctor. Hey, what's going on? Okay, uh, from the balls of my feet to my left buttock is numbness. Okay. Uh, the inside of my leg, all the way up. Yep. And my my uh, ankle has been swollen. 
for over two weeks. I couldn't see my doctor, but didn't seem to do anything about it. Then I had to go to the uh, Oshawa Hospital, and I had a checkup, and they called me, okay, and he just gave me some antibiotics for the swelling. Oh. But this is numbness has been going on for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, to walk, I have to take baby steps. Right. Uh, uh, to walk to my store, it took about 10 minutes. And now since I walk, it's just a little over almost half an hour to get there. Right. And so how long has this been going on? Oh, about a little over a year. But it wasn't as extreme as it is now. I could tolerate it before. And so you're saying that the doctor has said that everything's okay? Yeah. Okay. That's the family doctor has said that? Yes. He didn't give me any antibiotic or anything. Well, did, has he sent you? Like, if see, here's the thing, though. You you went to an emergency room. The emergency room basically discharged you. That doesn't necessarily mean that everything is perfectly fine, that there's no issue. It just means that it's not an emergency. This isn't life-threatening. It's not going to, you know, kill you within the next 24 to 48 hours. That's the that's the job of an emergency room. It's the job of the family doctor to now manage you, and if they don't know what it is, send you to the right specialist to figure out what's going on because— you can't say that there's nothing wrong if you're experiencing this kind of pain, numbness, tingling, swelling. There's obviously something wrong. They just, he just, he or she just doesn't know what it is. But it's his job or her job to try to figure that out through point of contact referral or whatever it may be. Or you can take that on yourself by, you know, doing like what you're doing right now, giving me a call, and I'm going to simply suggest you should be seeing me for an assessment because, uh, you know, there's clearly something there. It's just a matter of what is it that's causing it. Um, and then once you can figure out what's causing that, then you can make uh, the treatment recommendations that would likely help or, or, or at the very least manage the issue. Yes. Uh, I've asked him numerous times to send me to a specialist, but uh, he says, just let it continue my Yeah, I I mean, I'm not going to comment further on your family doctor because I don't know his or her reason for saying that. Maybe there's more to the the clinical history than I know from talking to you for, you know, two minutes and there might be other things going on. Uh, But in general, it is it is the family doctor's job to make the referrals that are necessary. And if you're, and if you're not getting that, then again, there's opportunities like the one that I'm providing where you can see me for an assessment um, and, and we can try to figure out what's going on. I've had CAT scans and MRIs, and I've passed those tests. Well, negative on that, but... Mm-hmm. And that's good. That helps to rule out things, but it doesn't... Again, people that have low back pain will often... Or, or like, leg pain will often say, I had an MRI and it was normal. Well, that, then that just means that, you know, there's nothing in your back causing that, but that doesn't mean it can't be other things. So there's a whole bunch of things that need to be done before you can absolutely say, hey... We can't figure anything out, right. and and I don't. It doesn't sound like it, everything has been done yet. Appreciate your call, Graydon. Uh, we'll slip you in here, Nick, before a break. What's going on with you? Are you am I on? Am I on? Yes, sir. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Question. I've had right shoulder surgery, uh, not surgery, more of a scope because I've had a tear in the labrum and I've had uh, a little bit of osteoarthritis in there, mm-hmm. but it's still painful. So the question for me is: Do I go as drastic as a shoulder replacement, or do I go with non-invasive ideas such as uh, synovial fluid, if you're familiar with that, obviously yep. you are. I don't know. I, obviously, you can't tell me personally exactly no. how it's going to go for me, but what's your uh, feeling regarding synovial fluid and, and, and things like that? Yeah, so so what I'll, and I think you nailed it on the head with what you just said. I obviously can't tell you what your best option is right now because I haven't um, assessed you. What I can say is that I do believe that 
people should try, they should exhaust in the absence of something that's completely debilitating that has no other option. But if, if this is something that you can try more conservative options for before you right. jump to surgery, I'm always kind of a fan. And, and again, this is in general. This is not me answering for you specifically. I'm just going to make a general comment here. In general, I do believe that conservative therapies should be exhausted before more invasive therapies are considered or done. Just because why jump to something like that if you can get it better with something else that's potentially not as invasive? And, and, there's, and there's obviously a risk to anything that becomes invasive. There's risk of infection later on. There's risk of other types of nerve damages and muscle damages that can happen. So I'm just a fan and of, of trying, and again, this is a general statement uh, and it very much depends on the case, but I am a fan of trying the, the more conservative um, options before ever going more invasive. And I will, and that's my that that's probably what expect what I'm expecting to hear. My question then is like as far as synovial fluid goes, is it essentially like a like an oil in between like two pieces of steel? Uh, and uh, I don't have that in my shoulder. Not that you can assess it. I, I don't know if you're lacking synovial fluid. What I can tell you is, yes, yeah, synovial fluid is important for joint movement. That's what lubricates the joint. It's it's more complex than just oil in between um, two pieces of metal. But the analogy is as close as we're going to get because we're living tissue. So it, it brings nutrients. It takes nutrients away. Uh, but it's there and it's secreted with movement. So, um, you know, I'm not sure if there's something going on with you that's just preventing synovial fluid, but, and if it's not there and putting it there may be helpful. Nick, appreciate that call. Everyone else, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Lots of time to call in with your questions. Have them answered here uh, by Dr. Lewis. The Dr. Payne Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 1245, Dr. Payne Show here. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. I want to remind you once again, consultations. Get in there and make that phone call, right? Yep, it's that simple. Just give me a call, and I, I you know, people are really, really taking advantage of that. Leave me a voicemail yep. um, and uh, name, phone number, uh, good time to reach you back at, and, and just a quick little brief synopsis. Or if you want to send me an email, if that is easier, mm-hmm. um, info at paincarecanada.com, and I will get back to you. Um, again, I think sometimes people, they'll call me or email me looking for the most specific advice. Yep. And again, the the point of the email or the phone call is really to for me to point you in the right direction. If the right direction happens to be come see me for an assessment, such as we've seen several times on this on the air right now, then that's what I'm going to recommend. Or if I think, hey, you're already doing the right things. I've, I've spoken to people who kind of tell me, you know, I'm in the system. I have to go see the surgeon. I'm getting this test, blah, 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 blah. And I'll just simply say, hey, you're, you're, you're down the right path. There's nothing really different you can do. Um, or, you know, go back to your family doctor. This is not really an issue of the type of pain issues that I'll deal with. Um, so it's just as simple as, as giving me a call and we have a quick discussion. There's no commitment either, right? Like there's, I'm not, I don't force anybody to do anything. Mm-hmm. If I recommend, Hey, you should see me for an assessment, but you prefer to go see someone else for an assessment to get this issue sorted out. That's fine. That's, that's not, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, force you and there's no commitment. There's no fee. There's nothing. You just simply give me a call or send me an email and I will, um, you know, kind of uh, assess it from that per- from a consultation perspective and give you what I think is the best option at that point. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. From a basic lifestyle point of view, this time of year, right till about the end of March, beginning of April, it's obvious people get out and start doing stuff. What do you recommend your patients do? Because well, it's, it's a time of year where you can get pretty sedentary. Yeah, right? and I was going to say, I think the recommendation is just try to stay active as best as possible. Yeah. I, I mean, I know... 
it's cold and there's things, but that it doesn't mean that every single day is freezing cold or has 15 feet of snow or something. You you can still get out and walk, right? Like it may you may not be able to say, hey, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday I'm going to go for a walk. You may have to be a little more fluid in that. Hey, today's not a bad day. Um, so I'm going to try right now. Um, so I think getting out is is for sure important. I think I think another important thing with pain levels is is our biggest source of vitamin D. Vitamin D is a very very important vitamin. Um, is that is the sun. Um, there's a lack of sun at this time yeah. of the year, right? And so maybe vitamin D supplementation. And again, I think you should always speak with your healthcare professional, whoever that may be, before you start adding supplements or things to your. Um, uh, to your routine or how much of something. But I think vitamin D is an important thing. The biggest thing is just try to stay active. I also think in this time of the year when people are less active, holidays, it's easier to get out of hand with the eating, the drinking, Mm -hmm. all of those things. And remembering when we're speaking about pain, the things that you put into your body have an effect on your pain levels, for sure. Some things just promote inflammation, and in promoting inflammation, you're going to experience more pain. And so a big component of pain management is also uh, the diet intake and and minimizing certain things so that there's um, less of an effect on the inflammation side of the body. But keep active as best as you can, whether that's maybe you have to join some recreational leagues, sport leagues, um, or, you know, whatever it is. I, I mean, I can't specifically... Learn to skate again like I yeah, did for yeah. 37 years. Yeah, try right? different try things. It. There's lots of winter activities yep. that can be done. Um, and just, you know, be careful with anything that you're doing, obviously, because you want to avoid injury. Um, or if you're feeling... You know, another big thing with when people try new things, like you're saying with the skating, is something that you haven't done in a long time. You may very well go out and do it, and you start to feel like, hey, I got this left hip issue, yeah. you know? Don't don't just sit there and say, oh, I'll just push through it and uh, it should get better. You know, if you're having a functional issue with some type of uh, activity, just get it assessed and let's see, is it something or is it not something? Is there a way to modify the, modify the, the activity so that you minimize that and, and really go from there? It's it, it's so funny you mentioned that. I know I'm not the only one with this type of thing, but I just, I picked up skating again last year, as you said. Yeah, I the remember. First time in 37 years, I decided to now, try it now again. We, now we know your age. Right. At the very, yeah, at yeah, the very right. least, you're 37. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, at least, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's funny you mentioned that. Now every time I go, and it's, I, I'm assuming it's going to be the same this year as last year because I haven't gone skating since last winter, but every time I'd finish just pleasure skating, going around, I would get pain uh, at the bottom underneath my left patella. My left okay. leg, not my right, for about 20 minutes. It'd yeah. be like, man, this is really killing me. Then it would go away. Just after, my left after knee. You after I skating. skated that one knee for 20 minutes, then it would disappear. 20 minutes during the skate or after? after. Did it hurt while you were skating? No, not really. No, it was just after. It was and after. Then it for 20 away. minutes driving home, like, oh, my knee's killing me. And then it goes away. And then it goes away, yeah. I mean, you're another good example. Right. I, from a functional standpoint, I, you know, a, a lot of the times, and I had a patient um, yesterday who hurt his knee. Um, he, he's a pretty competitive weightlifter, and, uh, and he started feeling an issue, and he did something really smart without me even telling him. He's like, I got someone to videotape what I'm doing so that you can actually see it. Right. So that's what I was going to say in your case. A lot of the times, if you're doing something uh, or, you know, your desk – you notice your neck pain happens more often after working, you're going to come see me. Take pictures of your desk. Take, give me pictures of the activities that you're doing or a video if it's something isolated like a squat or skating. Right. The more information I can get, the more I can analyze that from a functional perspective because, you know, right now I can get you, John, to stand up, do different things, but we're not really ever going to, in this room right now, we're not going to mimic skating. That'd without awesome. Yeah, yeah, without you going skating. And so a lot of the times 
being as specific as possible uh, is is most important when people speak about activities. And I've done that before with high-end athletes. I, I'll actually go out and go assess them in their sport because that's when they feel the issue. Observe and I, in their environment. Exactly. Yeah. Very good. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Still got a couple minutes to uh, call in, have your questions answered here. Dr. Payne Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. It is 12.54, last few minutes of the show here for this week. Assessments, let's talk a little more about that. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on something as well. If if you've been listening to the show for a while, a lot of people that end up coming to see me are are longtime listeners. If you know that you need an assessment, because I've now Mm -hmm. said it a million times, where you know if if it's a musculoskeletal issue, that's kind of what I'm going to recommend. If you want to skip the step and you don't really need to leave me a voicemail to discuss the issue kind of in the form of a consultation, you just want to go straight to an assessment, when you call 1-855-55-DR-L-O-U, option one will take you to the clinic where I do the assessments, and you can just simply call them. So option two is for the message? Option Option two is is for the message. Option one is if you just know you need an assessment. Book it, and that way you're in. Because when you when you call me and you leave me a message, I'm going to call you back. I, I tried to do it within 24 to 48 hours, depending on how busy I am, different cases, et cetera. Um, and then I'll have to send it off and get them to call you. But again, if you just want to skip that step, if you're listening, you know you need an assessment. That's mm-hmm. that's the next step. Just simply call hit option one, and, and that's it. It's funny. I just got an email about someone asking, is treatment covered by OHIP? Really? <laughs> Even though we, we, we just talked about it. So, um, again, that depends. depends. Right? It depends. Sometimes certain treatments are, certain treatments are not. Step one is the assessment is not covered by OHIP. The, my, my personalized pain assessment is just simply to figure out what's going on with you, what's creating your issue, and from there I will make a recommendation. Depending on, And I'm going to make the recommendation based on what's called evidence-based medicine. What that means is the best available research that we have. Um, my experience, what I have seen works and doesn't work for those types of things. And another part of evidence-based medicine is what you, the patient, wants. Um, because, you know, I may very well say, hey, you know, labral tear of the hip, research supports, surgery. Right. I think surgery is the best option. But if you, the patient, say, well, I don't want surgery, then the we're not doing call. it. Yeah, you got the final call. So, uh, And then we can we can look at other options that maybe don't have as good evidence-based mm-hmm. uh, things. But my job, first and foremost, is going to be how to, uh, making the uh, best evidence-based recommendation. A lot of people that come see me, I'm a chiropractor by trade. That doesn't mean your recommendation for treatment is chiropractic. It, this simply means that that's my profession. I'm going to assess you from a pain perspective, and whatever the recommendation is, I'm going to follow through based on the evidence. Uh, and my team is composed of all different kinds of healthcare professionals for that reason, so that I'm not just biased to one treatment sure. intervention. Yeah. And, and by assessment, we should we should say it's not you know in and out in ten minutes. This is no, a absolutely thorough, not. Yeah, I'd be, I, I also had a patient yesterday who came in with his wife. Um, he took about an hour and a half to do, um, and that's then she, deep. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she then said, "Hey, could you see me today?" And I said, "Well, I've got another person right after that's actually already waiting for me." And after that, I do have about half an hour, forty-five minutes. Uh, but then I need to run because I need to go teach. And I said, and in all honesty, I'm I'm probably going to say it's just better for you to come back because even though 45 minutes is is a long time, I don't want to have a time limit. I don't want to have to say, right. hey, I got to be out by this point. And I knew at that point I would have to be out. And I was like, and I don't want to do you a disservice. I'd rather spend, you know, the same amount of time that if need be that I've spent with your husband, ask all the right. I do a lot of, I ask a lot of questions. 
uh, when when I do a pain assessment because Good. it's very, very important and it allows me to be the best detective I can to figure out what's causing the issue. And then I do a lot of different testing. I'll often repeat a lot of tests just to make sure that I'm getting the right findings. Sometimes it's not uncommon, people who have seen me, it's, it's very common that I'll say, hey, I'm gonna be right back and I'll bring in one of my colleagues um, and Fresh get their and get their opinion too, um, just to to figure out exactly what's going on. We'll be back next week. I think we're doing two hours next week. We uh, you yeah. said there you go. So in, uh, in the meantime, one eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U or info at paincarecanada.com. This has been the Doctor Pain Show. It's Global News Radio six forty Toronto.